back from the dead, baby. Welcome, everybody, to the Ember Sword podcast. We uh, had a bit of a speed bump, a hiatus, if you will, but now that everything's back to normal, everything is firing on all cylinders, what better time to bring us back? I'm Svetlin, your excellent, now full of himself host, and um, there's been a bit of a furor in the community recently about the various regions in the world of Ember Sword. And uh, we really wanted to clear that up, and what better way to bring the podcast back than with an explanation so you guys can shut up with your wrong opinions. With me, I have Sam, our lore master. Sam, say hi. Hi, I'm Sam, and uh, <laughs> like, like Svetlin, I'm excellent too. <laughs> we are excellent together. It's, it's just this, it's, it's a Ponzi scheme of excellence, Bright Star Studios is. So, um, the purpose of this podcast, as you can see from the title, is us discussing regions. And we have a bit of a structure to this whole discussion. We mostly want to clear up the misconceptions on what the regions are, what they entail. And that's why Sam is here, because who better to clear that up than the man who created them. And then we are going to do a bit of a deep dive towards the latter part of the podcast. So, Sam, let's start with the overview of the nations. Uh, well, sure thing. Uh, Thanabus is made up of four regions, as you all know. Solarwood, uh, Ediso, uh, uh, <clears throat> Severand, and Duskeron. Now, uh, I know that people have the notions about uh, the biomes, which are generally correct, but I uh, want to just go into you know a bit more specifics. So, uh, uh, first, uh, Ediso. Uh, that is the that's the nation where the heart of the Republic lies with Skyder. The that's uh, where uh, both uh, Ediso and uh, Solarwood are governed. Uh, and uh, it is a nation that uh, is ruled by uh, a great people who, uh, <coughs> like, as I said, the Republic, but the people themselves, they almost have a Nordic quality because they live in the most frigid part of uh, Thanabus. And uh, the reason for this is that uh, the terraforming machine that uh, called Skyder, that it, like, it, it uh, crashed during the catastrophe. And as a, as a result, the climate there has gone way out of whack. You know, it's like the most extreme climate, so it's very cold. And thus, they uh, build themselves, they've built their society upon log cabins, massive ones, uh, along the exterior, yet there's uh, an entanglement with uh, the technology from Skyder itself, you know, so there is plenty of, uh, like, heat generated from uh, uh, the machine that once was a terraforming device, and, and uh, uh, you know, their society is uh, kind of enveloped in this old world, if you will, that uh, crashed down upon them, so they built upon it. You know, they basically hollowed it out and said, hey, this is where we're making our stand. And they're doing quite well, actually. You know, I, I read some <laughs> comments that I hypothesize that they are hillbillies. It's like, mm. <laughs> these people, like, they, you know, govern the northern half of, <laughs> of Thanabis, so... Yeah, I wouldn't exactly call them that. And to uh, the <laughs> to the east of uh, of uh, Ediso is Solarwood, and uh, this is uh, a nation that uh, is built around uh, uh, Burkhalter's Academy. 
and uh, this is a forest nation. And actually, as uh, as a bit of uh, a fun uh, a fun bit of history is that uh, Solarwood Forest used to encompass the entire northern hemisphere of Thanabus. That like Edisto used to be a forest, but oh. Uh, oh. like yeah, this is lore wise, you know. But uh, with the catastrophe, half the forest, you know, was wiped out, uh, uh, like, through the cold weather. And, you know, it's uh, Edison's now tundra. So that brings us to Solarwood, as I said. And, uh, yes, it's built around uh, academics because uh, Burkhalter's Academy originally, like, the uh, central tower, Apsis Tower, was once uh, an observatory from the age of Pangaea. However, you know... That that's not how things are anymore. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, th- like that uh, strand of uh, academics of uh, you know seeking answers to the universe. That's where Burkhalter's Academy was built around. And I've actually read some comments wondering if this is basically like uh, a Harry Potter you know storyline. You know. <laughs> Are we are we going to defeat Voldemort? What is this? You know, like it's a school, you know. But I can say, it's it's built around a university, a college, an academy, you know. But <laughs> but things are not built around <laughs> around you know grades and all that. That's just a setting because, like with uh, Sherlock Holmes, the bad guy is James Moriarty. Where does he work? He works at a university. He's the top dog with mathematics, and that's the best parallel I can describe for this. Is that it's set in an academic setting, but you're going to be doing a whole of a hell lot more than just <laughs> than like attending Reading. classes. In fact, yeah. you're not going to be doing most of attending classes because uh, <laughs> you're not you're not going to learn much because I, I I'm yeah I. I don't have a PhD in mathematics. I'm not going to teach you guys to go to school. <laughs> this is a video game. <laughs> Ember Sword is not responsible for your higher education. <laughs> yes. Even through COVID times, you have to still <laughs> attend classes. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, go south. Let's go to Duskeron. That is uh, the, like, that's a sand nation. And uh, the interesting thing about its history is that it was always generally a desert, yes, but uh, it, it, it's not like it's not a high desert. It's not like the Sahara. It was, it, it, or or it, it wasn't always like this duplicitous, devious places, you know. And it's still not. I've heard people, you know, say, "Hey, is this just like a trashy place where everyone goes all Mad Max?" And actually. <laughs> In the earliest days of Thanabus, during the Age of Pangaea, it was uh, a, a popular uh, trade route. You know, people, traders would go all across the moon because uh, you, you wouldn't want to settle there as a sane person. You know, people don't have an option now because they don't have spaceships. They're not part of a civilized society too much. It's, you know, rambunctious, uh, you know, after world. It's, a, it's after uh, you have... Uh, after society has kind of crumbled and we're rebuilding it in this post-apocalypse, we still have a ways to go. But, you know, it used to just be for trade routes. And uh, now it's uh, run, you know, through that genesis. It's run uh, by uh, the trade uh, family, you know, 
the the Scarrows uh, with uh, Noscaro as the leader in Maida. And, you know, they do the best that they can. It's actually a pretty neat place. And uh, just that, uh, yes, there's plenty of uh, room for outlaws, but through the balance of the game, I want to say that outlaws exist in all the regions, you know. Even, you know, next to the heart of the Republic, you know, Skyder, actually, dare I say, especially in Skyder in Edison, mm -hmm. you're going to have some unscrupulous people around the edges. So don't think that just because a place is, you know, thematic that it is going to be a complete <laughs> comprehensive color because, no, we have all shades here. And last but not least in my book you know it's it might be in some of your books but not in my <laughs> book we come to severand yes the <laughs> the toxic jungles of severand and uh, this yes like people have uh, surmised it is a former prison colony during the earlier ages the earlier days of the republic it was uh, it was uh, where they uh, sent, uh, you know, their prisoners because they didn't have room. They were still rebuilding their society, you know, during those days. So they shipped them down uh, south and said, good luck, see ya, you know, <laughs> in uh, this, hor this uh, place has an overrun jungle and just all sorts of monsters and everything. But the thing is, it's not bad. People there might be badass, but they survived. That's that's the important thing about uh, Severin. Everyone there survived, and now with the recent years, with just uh, some uh, some uh, proactivity from a certain figure or two, I, I don't want to spoil everything. Uh, Severin is finally reunite is finally uniting as a, a society. They're 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 still trying to find their feet, but. Yes, they're uh, they're trying to find their feet and uh, of an actual nation that could rival the other nations has uh, you know arisen out of this <laughs> jungle. So I'd say that that's uh, my description of the four nations. Severin, to me, I picked it, so I'm personally biased. But I uh, by reading the codex that you had put, the internal document that we use as a frame of reference to get to know the world. Uh, I pictured it as sort of this territory full of Arnolds from Predator, and that's what sold me, like, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there are a few Arnolds there. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's what I love to hear. Um, well, you gave an overview of the Four Nations, so that would at least put some of these arguments to bed. Um, I want to talk specifics, uh, specifically relationships. I mean, they are Four Nations on in the same place, naturally, there would be some geopolitical tension, I would assume, some type of relationships. What are the relationships between the different nations? Glad you asked, because this is a big question as well. Uh, as I mentioned, the Republic uh, governs the Northern Hemisphere, and uh, it's not like it's not like uh, Solarwood was annexed by uh, by Edisso in the beginning. No, they it was uh, it was just a unification. That's where you know, the remnants of the established society, most of them lived, you know, so, you know, they, the people from Edessa reached out to Sever, to Solarwood, I mean, and uh, they, uh, and they offered uh, assistance and said, we have to stick together through this. We don't know what's going to happen. This is a scary time. Like our nation, our world, Pangea wiped out. So, you know, they have a close bond and uh, they have the same government, but, you know, for, uh, 
geopolitical purposes, they're separate nations, you know, so kind of like uh, member states of the same government. Okay. And and then uh, there's Duskeron, which uh, that one I would uh, describe as it's autonomous and it doesn't have fealty to anyone. However, it has the most uh, relationship with uh, with the <coughs> Ediso uh, with with the Republic because uh, you know it's a it's a major trade hub. It has plenty to offer, and the Republic respects that uh, you know to a certain extent. But you know, two is stronger than one, and so the Republic kind of uh, pushes for you know favorability, you know, some perks, and since the Republic is, like, pretty much the only other civilized uh, government on Thanabis, uh, you know, the uh, Duskron looks to to comply where they can, you know, so long as their digni dignity is not lost. And uh, so Duskron is uh, technically an ally, uh, you know, with a bit of a tenuous uh, relationship with uh, uh, the Republic, and... Uh, it's difficult to say for uh, Severin, like that's how Duskeron would say it, because uh, Severin has only recently been a country. It was it used to just be, it used to be uh, just a place of outlaws, and so, <laughs> you know, it's uh, they're still trying to find their feet with what that what that specifically is. So they they like those two nations, uh, Severin and Duskeron, don't to really mix much because uh, they have no need to at this point and uh then uh severin you know it is an all-out war with the uh, with the republic specifically uh Ediso. and uh this this hasn't always been this way but with the unification of the people of severin under one government called the damned like this is a new occurrence you know they and uh, severin is seen as a terrorist state almost by uh, most of thanabus so they're they're the odd ducks if you will if you will and uh you know with that i i want to stress with uh, solarwood that burkhalter's academy is not just for the people of the republic they actually you know due to early you know early uh, foundations about being a place for everyone that everyone can have a shot at a better life uh, it's a place that someone even from Severin a warring nation could attend and uh, the reason for that is because uh, yeah, before the last few years uh, Solarwood never had to worry about an enemy country but you know technically you know by proxy they are an enemy of Severin but someone from Severin still can still attend because they're still trying to figure out the logistics of, you know, that diplomacy. And uh, so that's my overview for uh, the different relationships. You know, it's you can see it's a bit more complex than you might imagine. It's it, it's not uh, all uh, black and white, actually, you know? Yeah, it seems very sort of tenuous where Severin seems to be... As far as I understood it, it's, it's sort of the focal point of the conflict's and that they have tensions with every nation. So does that mean that everybody is in a way unified against Severin, or is it more complicated than that? Uh, as, as I said, uh, you know, Duskron isn't exactly unified against them. It's more of uh, Duskron and Severin don't engage. Uh, Severin, you know, they, they do have a militant element. I, I have to say that, Naturally, you know, even yeah. from... 
yeah, from a neutral perspective, they have a militant element. But uh, so, so they do send people to every nation, including Duskron, for different uh, missions. But uh, yeah, that it's there's some neutrality between Severin and Duskron at this point. At this point, ooh, that's ominous. <laughs> um, you mentioned black and white. Um, I want to go into morality a bit. Um, there, I we we discussed this a bit off mic, but you don't necessarily believe in a black and white morality scale. So am I correct in assuming that, you know, no nations are good guys or bad guys? You're absolutely correct. And I, I this is to address people, you know, saying, hey, the Republic are the bad guys. No, they're not. They are guys. The It's only that you have half the moon that is unified. You, well, no, half the moon that you know, has issues with it. It's kind of like if we have uh, Lithuanian players, they might not be the most favorable about uh, about an American player, or like uh, about the United States, you know, just, or uh, China or Russia. They might not, you know, be over the moon about the whole concept of the countries. They're not going to have the Trump American first <laughs> approach. They're going to, you know, say, yeah, the United States, they're, they're pretty big, you know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of good that does me and that that's pretty much the relationship that the other two nations have with uh, uh, with uh, <clears throat> the Republic but that that does not mean good or evil that just means matter of perspective because after all I did say that Severin is seen as a almost a terroristic uh, uh, nation did it I and and uh, that's the important thing is that internally with the bright star studios we we actually aren't on any character's team as a whole the funny thing is that uh, we actually have staff members that uh, you know are rooting for a character that i might personally want to kill <laughs> that I, I you know <laughs> if if i want to kill them i i'll have it happen but you know that's the thing we it, i feel very proud about the balance of the game where people uh, you know align evenly with the different nations and i think that's indicative of just a sense of morality it's all a sense of uh, alignment uh, of where you uh, of personal preference uh, right, the yeah, right, good yeah. good and evil are those are points of view and uh, you know just what we deal with our uh, actions and how people would react in such an extreme situation as what Ember Sword has with its lore, and uh, and yeah, that there will be people that you have to fight against in Ember Sword. That and but I think that everyone will find that uh, you're not just going to be uh, rattling sabers with the same team all the time. If you play the game all the way through all the quests. You're actually going to pretty much fight against every faction, and you're going to help every faction in some way or another. And uh, you know, and uh, even <laughs> like the Goody Two Shoes uh, Solarwood, you guys are in some for you're in for some dark content. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the the school is not going to be a very wholesome place. Schools can be scary. The brighter the setting, the darker the secrets. That's uh, yeah. interesting to hear because my personally, my favorite fiction has always been. Um, or my favorite narratives even haven't had a clear cut sense of morality so much as they have had strong characters who believe in their causes, which, yeah. which to me creates the most scintillating stories. And 
I mean, we, we again, we've talked about this before, but it's great to reiterate that we are trying to build a complex narrative here. We're not Kingdom Hearts, for example. I yeah. apologize to anybody who likes Kingdom Hearts. Vale. Uh, and that's about it. But yeah, Vale. We, <laughs> big call-out. Big call-out post right here on the podcast. <laughs> and and with that, you know, yes, I, like going off of that, uh, I feel like morality, you know, one of the stronger... Uh, examples uh, in uh, like for like I'll let I'll get to the next question in a moment but before we move on uh, uh, Harry Potter is excellent with morality because there are four houses and it's clear that yes from Harry's uh, perspective there are a lot of bad people in in uh, Slytherin but that doesn't mean that all Slytherins are bad in fact you know there are quite a few heroes there like Snape and yep. Slughorn and the mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are some bad Gryffindors. And I feel like that has a great advantage over Star Wars. I love Star Wars. But, you know, the Sith and the Jedi, you know, they say... Like, there's this beautiful scene where, uh, you know, Anakin says that, uh, you know, the Sith rely on their passion while the Jedi rely upon, you know, their need to help others. And I feel like that's not represented correctly in the plot because everyone who is driven by passion is inherently evil in Star Wars. And uh, I look to avoid that kind of situation with Ember Sword. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a tangent, I guess, but that, I feel like, is the main problem with that setting, is that it's it's a very expansive universe that's very flat on the highest level or the most prominent level of its storytelling, where Jedi are limited at the emotional level. Both both yeah. parties are, they can't really have complex characters because by definition they can't feel certain emotions, which, oh boy, is that a is that a very weird pitfall to build a whole universe upon. That's why I actually liked The Mandalorian, because it didn't have no, no lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> or more did of, it? Of, well, <laughs> you never know. We, we can't spoil it for anyone yeah. who hasn't seen it yet. I've totally seen it, though. It's the best. There's, yes. There's one I... This this is such a weird tangent. I need to keep going. One of my favorite wrestlers is on the show. That that's what I was going towards. She is phenomenal. It's clear that in building the narrative, you've tried to be very like detail oriented. At least to me, you you've tried to make a balanced narrative that that creates real characters. So how did you come up with the different nations using that thought process then? Well, uh, it, lots of and lots of processes actually. Uh, when I came on board, uh, Sa- Sage actually had a few things in mind. Uh, uh, the setting he pictured uh, was uh, more of like families and clans, almost like the, the Montagues and the Capulets, and uh, and uh, a central nation in between them all. And so, it was almost like a guild setting, and. Uh, uh, he actually showed this to me after I started writing the lore, but, you know, he said, hey, you, you might be better at this than I am, so please. <laughs> so, uh, um, I I suppose that, uh, yeah, I, I was uh, with the, what I saw, we had the forest and the, and the desert as the developed lands and the demos, the earliest ones. And so I figured what would, you know, be the most suitable for those, at least at an aesthetic level, and that included a, a school and then a wasteland that could be overrun by automatons, and that was the base level for Solarwood, and uh, and uh, Duskeron, of course, and 
And uh, with that, uh, we had those kind of plugged in at a very base level. But uh, I also wanted uh, a barren landscape, you know, uh, kind of like a hellish place. And that's that's where Severin originally came from. And uh, but <laughs> we decided that having hell <laughs> as a nation, <laughs> you know, a wasteland that doesn't really fly too well, you know. <laughs> so we decided uh, uh, the best compromise would be to have a predominantly jungle nation with a kind of ugly little <laughs> capital at the center, like where there's a big piece of uh, Starjan's uh, 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 planetoid sticking up, you know, this jagged structure, which is a uh, uh, skyscrape. And uh, so uh, that was kind of where Severin came from, the necessity for jungle meets my uh, desire, my passion for a dark place of the world. And uh, Edison, that was... Uh, that was a place that I initially thought of as a conglomerate place where kind of things mix and mash because at that point I had developed enough of the plot that I wanted terraforming to be an element. So it's like, hey, things got mixed up crazy. But then, uh, you know, it is like, no, we, we need an Arctic region. We have a huge number of Scandinavian players. We The, the company, it, there's is Scandinavian itself, you know? Yes, we're international, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, just back history there, and people want Vikings, people <laughs> want snow, so, yes, let's give them their snow Vikings and make them badass, and they rule the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, so that's kind of where that came from. So it's actually been uh, quite the process with coming up with uh, the different facets, and uh, the, the story has been, uh, you know, it's been written down for ever since I joined uh, the project uh, over two years ago. But uh, at, at the same time, it's a very iterative process. In right, fact, yeah. uh, I think that was about half a year ago that we changed and adjusted a, uh, an element of the time scale, uh, like to fit, you know, actually a more scientifically realistic uh, um, at a time scale, I'll just go with that. I don't like being redundant, but <laughs> right, there yeah, we go. Yeah. We we uh, we're on the spot, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I so uh, no one will notice it actually because it's an element that we hadn't uh, have still yet to unveil. But uh, yeah, but it's been a very iterative process, and still there are parts of the timeline that people do not know about, and they but they will find out through playing the game, and those are like some big ones especially big ones actually were originated with sage and you know so it's basically my uh, my uh, creativity meets his passion you know what mm -hmm. started this game in the first place in early 2018 the iteration is as a final topic i would guess um iteration in storytelling has been a challenge for for most video game companies where uh Striking a right balance between gameplay evolutions and narrative evolution is has been a struggle. I'm again envisioning Destiny here because I'm me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, how are you going to tackle the iterative narrative process once the game launches? Do you have any uh, ideas, any hopes on how that's going to go? Uh, well, uh, first of all, we. I have a special project in, in, that uh, I think the f 
fans are going to be very pleased to, to get their hands on. Uh, that I think is going to help with uh, with uh, getting people acquainted with the world before the actual game launches. But uh, more direct to your question, uh, I th I think that's important that I lay out as much detail as humanly possible in the game if someone wants to follow it. I think that's also important that people have the option to completely ignore the lore and still have a great time in the game. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, I'm always thinking about how I can splice things in. So different doodads that might just look like a funny looking feature to someone, it's going to be like, oh, that that's the crux of the game right there, right there. Oh, I, I can't believe I'm here. I'm such a dork. Uh, that's what I would say. You know, you guys don't need to say that. You can say you're cool. But uh, you know what? I want things to be uh, like interspersed. You just place there as much as possible. I want dialogue to relate to different things. I just... And uh, I don't want any one thing to be lore-heavy. And uh, what I mean by that, as a storyteller, that probably is like, what? No, but what I mean by that is uh, that uh, you won't have all the answers in one place. You're going to, right. like, if you complete a part of the game, if you complete Solar Woods uh, quests, you're going to have a quarter of the story, and you're going to hopefully want more. Or you'll just be annoyed and decide to just... <laughs> you know, ransack caravans and be awesome. You know, hey, you know, we need plenty of badasses in that world, so, you know, <laughs> be my guest. <laughs> but uh, I basically want the option to be there, you know. I, I want to have as much in the little details. Yeah, allow people to go as deep as they want to, kind of like Dark Souls. Yeah, and uh, I, to do that, every single... Like, I think I mentioned this a while back, every single character has a fully fleshed out backstory, you know, mm -hmm. all, the, all the way down to what their first pet was, you know, and uh, the last four digits of their social security number. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, is, uh, that is excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge dork for that type of stuff. I When I play something that I enjoy, I, I'm happy when somebody has put the thought and work into making the universe as deep as essentially the player wants to go. Like, if you want to just go through the main narrative... I make a distinction between narrative and lore, that's why I asked, right? Uh, yeah. Where the main through line of the narrative can be something that, you know, you pick up, you experience this part of the Ember Sword story, and then you go do whatever. Or you can stop by every pot and pan, put your hands in them. Oh, is that a parchment? What does it say? You know, I, I love that stuff. I love... I love it when a world feels three-dimensional. I love it when there's, like, tangible depth of history in a given setting. And I'm happy that we're going that way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when people describe me as a lore master, like, I think that people think, oh, he like he writes a quest and he comes up with the geeky stuff that, you know, some of us will like it. I hope that it's understood that there's also a huge burden of responsibility and you know, helping design the game to be as aesthetically pleasing and also functional as possible. You know, the best functionality possible that where people, their time, you know, it's not just about money invested, it's about time invested that you yeah. feel yeah. like very rewarded. And that is, there's much more for to that than lore. But, you know, I, I think uh, in both the perspective of, you know, what story do I want to have told and also... How enjoyable is it, you know, if if you, you know, want to have a very 
if you want to have just a surface deep experience or, you know, just you have uh, every option, you know, everyone can be happy if, you know, if, uh, you know, all our different departments are saying, hey, this this works for me, you know, and uh, that that's the thing. I, I, I don't expect everyone to be big into the lore, but I, I do have the hope that they find some enjoyment in the game, you know, even if it's just, you know, grinding and whatnot. That's... I feel like every cast you're on, you find just the perfect way to sum up the conversation and to just, like, stick the landing. So, yeah, that that is the end of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Sam, for uh, taking the time. Thank you for this wonderful little anecdote at the end. Um... We're back, everybody. Uh, expect the podcast to be in a more regular schedule. Uh, I thank you for listening. I thank again Sam for participating, and we will catch you next time. <laughs> thank you for having me. Hell yeah. Hey, you. You made it to the end. Congratulations. That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news. We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg slash embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.